You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Serving it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. Nate, you know, the last time you were on, you successfully guessed the, guessed the third F, and I gotta be honest, I kind of feel like no this chance. a running thing. I agree. But there's no chance. I listen. Frankenfurters, the that was an anomaly. But I'm going to go with it this week, and I'm going to say flat tires. No, no, it wasn't it this time. It wasn't it. It was actually flapjacks this time. Uh, it was a two. I, I, it's close enough for me. Close. I, so I will never top Frankenfurters ever. No, no, that, that was that was a shining moment of podcasting that will probably 100%. never be duplicated. Ever be but flapjacks it was for this week. And I'll tell you why it's flapjacks this week. It's flapjacks this week because my wife and I have a new tradition. So I know that you might find this very hard to believe. This might be something where you're like, no, 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 no. I, I refuse to believe this about Bruce. But I am a man who enjoys a good schedule. I'm a man who yeah. enjoys a good routine. Hmm. No, I know, right? I guess that about it, you. Yeah, no, nobody would guess that. And so recently, my wife and I have come up with a a new routine, a new schedule. And part yeah, of I can only imagine what a new routine is like for you. It's probably like getting a new car. It, it literally is like getting a new car. It's absolutely brilliant. It's it's wonderful. It's absolutely. It's just something about that new routine smell, you know. And this particular part of the routine is about getting breakfast every Saturday morning. It's about going out and getting breakfast together every Saturday morning because one of the things that we struggle to try and find time for in the schedule is going out. Mm. And my wife and I really like going out occasionally, but weeknights are kind of weird. They're very, I'm very regimented guy. I've got podcast work. I've got all the things that we need to do. And I really feel like we, breakfast on Saturdays is kind of the way to do it, right? We can listen to a podcast when we're on our way there, on the way back, and we can make that part of our routine. But here's the problem. When it comes to breakfast food, I'm just kind of, eh, I'm cool. It's fine. You know, it's fine. It has a really high floor for me, really super high floor breakfast food, because what's the worst that can happen? I get, I get a couple pancakes, slice of bacon, some scrambled eggs. That's fine. High floor, mm-hmm. high floor. Sure. Yeah. Course. But also shockingly low ceiling for me. And so going out to breakfast is always kind of weird, right? Always kind of weird. Sure. So for me, being able well, to have just curious, what's what's weird about going out for breakfast? Because when I go out for a meal, uh-huh. I'm shooting for ceiling. But when it's breakfast food, ceiling struggle, struggle kind of evades me. So for me, is it, going out is to it, breakfast is weird. Is it the lack of diversity in breakfast food? Like you just kind of yes. always, okay. For example, the last time I went out to breakfast, what I ended up eating was I ended up eating um, something that was a pork-based stitch. 
Okay. And this pork based dish was like hash browns and ham and bacon and pork, right? Okay. All in this sort of smothered with cheese and sausage gravy on top. And I was like, okay, that's a little different, right? Yeah. It's, it's not a, a traditional thing. I feel like a, my, my wife had, my wife had a breakfast burrito, but it was like chorizo. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's get on board. These are the types of things I'm interested in. And so when I just go to a place that is just pancakes and eggs, flapjacks, mm-hmm. that's it, right? I struggle. So tomorrow we're going to go to a new place. And that new place is a diner. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can get a burger at 7.30 a.m. That's what I'm it. hoping for. Because diner burger at 7 a.m. will slap. But to me, flap jacks. So, Bruce, I have to tell you something. Mm-hmm. There's a burger place down the street from me here. And they are open for brunch now. And they have a breakfast burger. The patty is not beef. Sausage? It is a bacon sausage mix. What? Ground together, patted, and put on a flat grill. Bruce, what? Bruce. It's effing magical. Why am I just now learning about this? It's Well, you know, we don't talk about burgers. There's a lot of things to talk about on the show. There's a lot of food groups to talk about on the show. We have been doing the show for several months. We have a lot more topics to hit. I didn't know I was going to get to the breakfast burger topic, but every once in a while, especially after a long Saturday night out and you're hungover Mm. and you're really in need of something to absorb the excess alcohol in your stomach with a little bit of flair, Bruce, I've never actually had anything quite like it because sausage patties, delicious, but the saltiness of the bacon that's added with it and like, Mm. oh, it is fantastic. Mr. Sizzles, great name first and foremost, but. A breakfast burger where the meat is a bacon sausage mix. Say less, right? I mean, say less. Say less. I have I have discussed before with you that if you were to put me on death row and given me a last meal, it would be some sort of burger. Right? We've talked about this before. I'm I am a burger junkie. I am an aficionado okay. of burgers. So I'm all the way in on breakfast burgers. Absolutely. Let's hit the comment section, see who's here. There's a little roll call. John Curran is in the Comment Should I section the, says Shibuya. 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 Yes. Shibuya. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like you should. Okay. You know, go, you know, who? Who do we got here? We got some John. We got some John. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. The problem is there's a slight delay, so we're never going to be rhythmic on this. But John <laughs> says, What color hair, if you have any, is yours? No, no, see, nice, nice try. Yeah, that's just yeah, not nice going to happen. Andy Anderson in the comment section says he's got his Genesee Brewing Hotline pint glass. That's Very right. Nice. As a reminder, for those of you who are not familiar, I don't know how you got possibly could be with the gigantic sign sitting behind my co-host there. But this show is brought to you, as always, by Genesee Brewing Company. Since 1878, Genesee has poured generations of brewing knowledge into each pint, can, and bottle of their beer. They make no sacrifices when it comes to their beer, brewing each with the highest quality ingredients for a consistently great drinking experience. Look for Genesee Beer, Genesee Light, Cream Ale, and their specialty line with beers like Ruby Red Kolsch and Oktoberfest, Genesee Brewery, Rochester, New York. Forget about the Pineapple Kolsch. It is out now and stores at your local Wegmans. While you're there, you're grocery shopping, grab yourself a ruby red, but also pair it with the pineapple kolsch. I've got one in my fridge, and it is chef's kiss. Adam maybe Kowalski. I should say, hold on, maybe I should say captain's kiss. Oh, nice. Captain's kiss. Yes, that's exactly that's what it should be. Adam Kowalski in the comment section, diner burgers are a real thing. That's right, Adam. If you, if you are any sort of food for thought fan, you know how we feel about diner burgers. You're, we, you're using this we, we word very yeah. loosely. Yeah, because Bruce we. is a collective. Okay, Bruce, fair. fair. That's, see, that's, that's the joke. The joke fair. is that Bruce isn't even one person. Bruce is multiple people in a trench coat. Just tiny. Like multiple like tiny humans yeah. on top of each other's shoulders in a trench coat. In a trench coat, yeah. That and, is and actually more believable than you being just a normal human. Absolutely. I, I'm the guy from Scooby-Doo where you pull the mask off and go, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Just like that. With the accent and everything. As a reminder, if you are in the comment section, make sure you hit all of the buttons 
all of the engagement buttons, all the buttons that the algorithm likes, go yep. ahead and hit them. Like, hit subscribe. Yeah. If you Rate, can, review. I'm not sure if you can. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like it and then unlike it and then like it again. Yeah. Why not? Just so we, just so we know it's real. And any super chats that we get when we're on YouTube that are $10 or more, make sure you DM at Nate Geary Sports a proof of the super chat and a screenshot of you following at Genesee Brewing, Brewing, excuse me, on Twitter. And when you do that, he will send you in the what next shipment. No, no, he will not send you eggnog. He will not so, send you eggnog. He so will you know send how you a Genesee like, pint glass. The top used to move. Yeah. It doesn't anymore, really. So for those of you who are listening in podcast form, you may remember that many, many months ago. Moons, many, months many ago, moons ago. Many moons. Four score and seven, in fact, moons ago. Nate Geary had a little container of eggnog that he had because he, he didn't, doesn't really like eggnog. But it's still sitting on his desk from all those many years ago. And at this point, has become a biological hazard. So Alton, when I told Alton Brown that I this was kind of like a running joke on the podcast, he, well, since I'm here and I'm storytelling, um, Alton told me something about milk punch, which, you know, is kind of what eggnog is. But he makes his own, and he actually has a recipe for it on his website, altonbrown.com. And Alton, well, first and foremost, Alton told me to get rid of this as soon as possible because at any moment it could explode. And he almost, he almost was like, I am going to tell you right now that it will explode. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, he's like, is the cap starting to protrude upward? I'm like, yeah. He's like, throw it out. I'm like, listen, you're Alton Brown. If you're telling me to throw out this eggnog, I'm going to do it. But you know what? It's a kind of... What keeping this on my desk every day is like is sort of like peeing into the wind. You're playing with fire at the very best. You're playing with fire. But he has something clarified milk. So he he didn't, didn't tell me how he made it, but but apparently this is something that goes back generations. Thomas Jefferson had clarified milk punch in his basement when after he died and they were like raiding his his home and bringing things out for like artifacts at museums they found all of these jugs of clarified milk that he was drinking and apparently it's good for like ever so i'm like alton tell me how keeping this eggnog around uh at room temperature and hey you know we're i don't have central air in my home so in a couple of weeks, when it's like 90 degrees in this house, this will be probably even better, I'm thinking, right? Or maybe that's what's going to cause the explosion. It's yes, tough to that's know. exactly what will happen. It's tough to know. It has not reached that temperature since you got it. So No, it has not. Yeah. Andy in the comment section says, Bruce being a Scooby-Doo villain makes too much sense. Yeah. yeah Rips really off does. the head, and it's really just, again, it's actually just Bruce Nolan. So actually Jim Carrey. JR says, smash burger that like button. That's that's like a good that, one. JR. I've gone with saute that like button before. You know, some sort of like uh, like Julianne, that like button. Some sort of culinary Tenderize. Tenderize. Yes, I like tenderize. Tenderize, absolutely. We are going to move on to our first major topic for this evening. And there, trust me, we're going somewhere with this. There's always a Generally. method to the madness. And when I say always, I mean most of the time I can draw some sort of odd logical parallel. And the hors d'oeuvres for this evening is food that required a second run. Because not everything always lands on you the way the you like time. it to right out the gate. That's right. And sometimes it's a mood. Sometimes it's a taste. And we all know that tastes change over time. And sometimes you'll have something and it won't really hit you right. And you're like, you know what? Sample size is important. I've told the story before that my first date with my wife was absolutely abysmal. As was my second date with my wife was absolutely abysmal. It was terrible. But because I am a man who respects sample size, I kept going back. Even though the first date was terrible. Even though is the second sure date was terrible. Is it that you kept going back or Miss Nolan kept going back? Let me just tell you right now. It might sound like I'm saying this, and in reality, she was giving me a second chance. Even Mrs. Nolan will vouch for me and say that it was mostly her fault as to the reason why the first two dates were so terrible. But it just goes to show you that there's value 
in respecting sample size. That's right. Because not not four months after our second date, I married her. Wow. Because sample size is a real thing. So what foods for you, Mr. Geary, required a second run? So this may come as a surprise, but fruit has this effect on a lot of people, certain fruits, right? Because for me, there are two fruits that I ate and never went back for until recently. And then I had one that was ripe and it completely changed my mind. And it's two fruits. First one, mango might be when it's ripe and then like a little chilled, there may not be a better fruit. The first time I had mango, I spit it out because it was so, what, what, what's the, what's the opposite of ripe? Uh, spoiled. No, ripe is, you know, on the, uh, is closer to spoiled than like when pre, it, when it's, was it pre-ripe? Yeah. Yes. Pre-ripe. Sure. Um, it was not yet ripe. It was not, it wasn't even close to ripe. And it was one of those things where. I didn't know how to, first of all, there's a method to cutting mango that I wasn't privy to. So I bit into it. I bit into it and it was like biting into, it was, Bruce, it was terrible. The taste was off. The texture was off. And if those two things are off, what else, what other redeeming quality do you have? Same with pears. The first pear I had, not ripe and just, just really bad. And there's almost a sand-like texture to pears when they are not ripe. There's almost a sand-like texture when they are ripe, but they're just good when they're really ripe. And the juiciness. So for me, the main one, though, is mango. Mango, to me, is an elite-level fruit. But, man, there is nothing, there is no other fruit that the balance of incredible elite-level fruit and I'm going to spit this out. There really is nothing that, that, that lives in two extremes like the mango. So for me, tried the mango the first time, spit it out. I didn't go back for years. Someone offered me a piece of mango that they had cut and it looked, I was like, that doesn't even look like the, the, like the thing that I bit into before. And then they were like, you bit into a mango. Why would you do that? You're supposed to peel the outside. What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know how to eat a mango and it was not ripe. So for me, mangoes deserved a second chance and they certainly did. Cause I, that's easily one of my favorite fruits. I am a big mango guy as well. Big mango guy. Um, if you ask me my favorite naked juice or anything like that, mm, where you just yeah. get just straight, just straight juice. Mango is absolutely the top. I will take orange mango juice over plain orange juice. The whole thing. I love mangoes for me. The food that required a second run was avocado. When I was young, I had avocado for the first time and I just could not get behind it. And one of the difficulties with avocado in general is that trying to make sure that you eat an avocado at the appropriate ripeness is a little bit like trying to, um, it's a little bit like trying to get a, like a, a split in bowling. It's got to be absolutely perfect, right angle, right time, because the way it works with avocado is it's not ripe, it's not ripe, it's not ripe, oh, it's, ri- it's ripe. overripe. It's not ripe, it's not ripe. Okay, right now, oh, it's too late, you missed it. You right, missed that's it. exactly what it is. You missed the boat. You missed the boat, that's it. You, you know, There's like a four-hour window where you can eat avocado and it's ripe, that's it. Right? And because <laughs> of that, if you don't get it within that four-hour window, then you're just, you're right. just toast. Right? You're just absolutely toast when it comes to avocado. And because of it, I just didn't go back because I think that there was just a strange misunderstanding for what avocado was. I think I was expecting a different flavor profile. And I think also, I think I was expecting more. And when you're younger, yes, you know, it's been proven when you're more younger, flavor, you need more, more flavors, you, right? Yeah. You, you, you need big, you need big flavors. You need sugary cereal. You need you're holding bombastic. this thing in your hand. And then you realize that three quarters of its weight is the pit that is inedible. Yeah. And it's weird because when you're younger, I almost feel like your palate's not quite as sensitive to pick up subtleties. 
And so you need bigger flavors to really attract your attention. And as you get older, those bigger flavors really start to kind of almost, oh, oh, it repulse you a little bit. Oh, it's too sweet. Yeah, you're looking too for sweet. more subtleties. You're in, looking in for subtleties. Mode. Yeah. And that's why avocado starts to come back around for you as you get older. So for me... Can I, can I ask but, you a question? Is sure. avocado simply the vegetable? Is First of all, is avocado a vegetable? It's a fruit. Interesting. I would not like to classify it as fruit. Let's let's classify it as a vegetable for the sake of this argument. Feels like okay. I won't. I'll, I'll classify it as a fruit and say, is avocado just savory mango? Oh my gosh! What a what a what a fantastic way of looking at that. I will say this: I think avocado is savory peach. Think about the seed of an avocado and the yeah. big, thick seed of a peach. But mango has the big middle, too. You only get – when you have a mango and you cut yeah. it, you're cutting – Yeah. I I want to say that two-thirds, either way, pit to – what do you want to call it? Uh, meat? Uh, what do you want to call the innards? Uh, the edible version of a mango and or an avocado. Would you call it the – the actual fruit, the fruit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I would say if you're looking at a mango, what are you getting edible-wise out of a mango? A good-sized mango. Would you say you're getting like two-fifths? I, I I'd say, so. Yeah, I'd say 40 to 45% yeah, of, the 40, of, the, yeah, of the entire mass. Sure. 40%, yeah, 40%. And I would say about maybe it's closer to 50-50 with a mango or with, a, um, with an avocado. But – it's funny because, you know, Andy, Andy Anderson in there, this episode's weird. I had the exact same experience with mango and avocados. I'm sure that almost everyone has had similar experience because I feel like experiential wise, avocados, mangoes, peaches, they're all sort of, they're kind of built, cut from the same cloth. But I want to say from a ripeness argument or a ripeness perspective, Avocados feel like savory mangoes, and 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 I think we've we've. It's funny that you went the avocado route and I went mango. It feels like we were kind of thinking the same way when this topic came out this week. I'm happy. About, I'm happy about this discovery, by the way, Bruce. I feel good about it. What happened? What's going on with Bruce? He's on. He's on mute now. I can't hear him. No, I'm, I'm he good. here. I'm good. I'm okay. here. I'm here. I, 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 do think, me. I, I would never leave you. I would never leave you nor forsake you at a, a at a time of need, like Friday nights at nine o'clock PM Eastern time for it's food for thought. I, I enjoyed that little uh, synergy that we had there with the avocado and the mango. You know what else I enjoyed is I enjoyed the bills off season. I think it's hard pressed to find someone who really didn't enjoy the bills off season, but it's a sure. matter of qualifying the bills off season. Cause we all liked the bills off season, but the question is, from a qualitative standpoint, what type of offseason is it? And this is where the food metaphors come in. So I'm going to ask you yeah. to think about if the Bills offseason was a food, because I've got a take, and I'm going to start with too. this one. Send it. And my take is this. And by the way, did you catch Food for Thought last week, Nate, with me and Spence? Of course I did. I absolutely destroyed the food metaphors. They were my best food metaphors maybe ever. And I appreciate that you waited for it not to be on an episode that I wasn't on. And by the way, Spence, great, great partner last week. Spence is one of my favorites. Yes, Spence is, Spence is the, he's, the, he's, the, he's that dude. He's that dude. So if the Bills offseason was a food, it would be the Pizza Hut buffet. The reason why it's the Pizza Hut buffet, it, it goes so, there's so many layers to this. It goes yeah. layers deep. Pizza, Pizza Hut buffet, this metaphor, very, very significant with the layers. Here's why. You go in to the Pizza Hut buffet thinking that you will get everything you want. And you come out with almost everything you want, but everything you need. Hmm. There's no chance you're going to walk away from a Pizza Hut buffet and not be full because you can have as much as you want. But inevitably, because it's so small, the Pizza Hut buffet is never a huge thing. There's always some sort of pizza that you had your mind set on or some sort of dish you had your mind set on going in that they don't have. Inevitably, you whirl in and their pizza choices are fine, but you were really hoping for Pan Supreme. You wanted Pan Supreme. And you may have gotten something close to that. You got 
thin crust supreme or you got pan meat lovers but you didn't get exactly what you want and you know that's ridiculous you know that going into a pizza hut buffet and thinking to yourself i am gonna walk away i'm gonna walk away with everything i could possibly want it's going to be perfect you know that's ridiculous when you do it like you know they're going to be short on something but you still have it in your head that this is going to be the perfect pizza hut buffet experience they're going to have everything i could possibly want and i'm going to walk away both full and also with all of my boxes checked and you don't but instead you walk away with most of what you want you feel satisfied you ate you're good it wasn't perfect but it was solid a lot of people came into the nfl draft wanting a significant investment in receiver they wanted a day one or a day two pick at receiver or some semblance of weapon they ended up getting a weapon but it was more of a a third down pass catching back and brandon bean walked away and said we kind of look at james cook as sort of a receiver that's kind of way we look at it right and so you're like okay we got james cook He's a, he's a weapon in the passing game, and that's cool. He's a passing game weapon. That's awesome. It wasn't quite the method that I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. to acquire a passing game weapon, but I'll take it. So it's not perfect. It's not the way any of us probably drew up our mock drafts. I don't think I saw a single mock draft that ran exactly that way. It ran trade up for cornerback in the first and then running back in the second with James Cook and then an off-ball linebacker in the third. Now, every single mock draft had Matt Ariza. Right, all yes, of them, literally every all of them. Single one, yeah. Every, I mean, I think like what sixty percent of all mock drafts completed, and the Draft Network mock simulator had that. But that is why it is close to everything that you wanted. Everything that you wanted, it was right there. It's always going to fall a little bit short of expectations, but you're still going to walk away satisfied. Right. And that's why the Bills offseason was a Pizza Hut buffet. Hmm. I'm going to go in a little different direction. That is very nuanced, very layered. Of course, as always, I appreciate it. The Bills offseason for me was like caviar. The reason is it's really expensive, and I have no idea what it tastes like because I can't afford it. So like caviar, the Bills had an expensive offseason. Six years, $120 million, Von Miller. They go out, they trade up for a corner they used assets it's expensive they moved up they only traded a fourth but that fourth almost cost them khalil shakir luckily he fell to them in the fifth he was they were able to trade back up and get their wide receiver right so for me i've always been almost enamored with caviar because what it represents is like kind of a it's a status thing, right? I'm not sure that people actually eat it because they enjoy it. Have you ever had caviar, Bruce? I have. If you had to describe it as short as you could, how would you describe the taste of caviar? Salty applesauce. What? That yeah. can't be that can't be really what it is. Yeah. The texture of applesauce, but really salty. Yeah. Does it taste like applesauce? No, no, it doesn't. It, 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 only the texture. I'm just using applesauce for texture. Well, what, what's what's That's the it. taste? Salty, really salty, like super salty. Yes. Okay. Um, well, now I'm a little thrown off at at your description of it. Regardless, I digress. Ultimately, where I'm going with this is expensive, and I just you don't know how this is all going to to mesh together, Bruce. I said this the other day that it's very possible the Bills are the number one overall defense in football last year in a bunch of categories, but overall number one. They could be not just better. They could be a lot better than they were last year. They have a legitimate bona fide edge edge rush presence that they have not had since Bruce Smith. They have a legitimate interior defensive line to pair with Ed Oliver at the one technique position and behind Ed Oliver. I expect you're going to get the most out of your interior defensive line. The trickle effect of that interior defensive line, Bruce, is the ability of your linebackers to run relatively unscathed without having offensive interior offensive linemen getting that second level, being able to chip and get up to that linebacker level and push Tremaine Edmonds around, who coming out of college, we all knew he's going to struggle to get off run blocks. That's okay. I digress from that, right? You have a legitimate bona fide number two corner that can play press man. I'm trying to come 
up with a reason why this Bills defense won't take one or two or multiple steps forward from the defense that ranked number one last year, Bruce. So in terms of elite level, expensive, and absolutely just not knowing what this could be, it could be amazing. It could be worse than it was last year. I just, I don't know what it looks like when it all gels together, but I think it's the unknown and the expense of caviar for me that led me to this, uh, this comparison this week. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Just, just so you know, you know, if you ever have caviar, you know, salty applesauce, right, right there, right. Fishy, salty applesauce. Yeah. There you go. Ugh, none of that sounds appetizing. Like, I see it's like, not good, man. It. It's not, I don't like caviar. It's not good. So like, it reminds me like, so when I was growing up and my dad always used to tell me like beer is an acquired taste. I would assume that caviar is also an acquired taste. Like you have to have it. I haven't had it enough to acquire it. I will say that. Yeah. I don't know how it, uh, it, it might end up being one of these Jeff things. <laughs> it might be one of these things that I have to end up saying I needed a second run for me. <laughs> Uh, it may not, Bruce. I mean, you may not need two runs in it. I, uh, you may not. Listen, this whole time, it's funny because, you know, we, we don't know Bruce's true identity. It's because he's actually Jeffrey Bezos. Sure. Spending yeah. his time with us simpletons in Buffalo. And <laughs> a food way. for thought, 9 p.m. from his yacht, he's just <laughs> streaming food for thought. Thank you, Jeffrey Bezos, a.k.a. Bruce Nolan. You know, that's why the internet can be a little spotty sometimes because the, sat- the, the satellite yachts. route. Yeah, it's yeah, the it's, the, it's, it's, it is the satellite. But he, I mean, he has his own Wi-Fi, I'm pretty sure. He makes it. Yeah, it creates it out of thin air. Creates it. it creates internet streams. And such. So the reason why we started off this show with if the Bills offseason was a food and food that requires a second run is because Nate specifically wanted to talk about second year players. And so because of that, we decided to make that the food simile for this evening because there are some second-year players every single year for a team like the Bills when who are built around draft and developing that matters. Now, we have often targeted year three for a lot of these players for breakout. Josh Allen, Dawson Knox, all these players broke out year three. But that doesn't mean we don't see keeping an eye, start keeping an eye on their development. Basically. Everybody is essentially an incomplete grade until they break out yep, or they bust. Or they don't. Yeah. And some players are not going to do neither and they're just kind of be, eh. And then they'll end up in the what we call the Tremaine Edmonds effect where they didn't break out, but they also didn't bust. And instead we just yell about them on the internet forever. Mm-hmm. That's the middle ground. It's the, it's the purgatory of neither breaking out nor busting. But the Bills second year players make me feel like what nate the floor is yours i'm happy that you gave this over to me the bills second year players make me feel like i'm eating a chef's tasting menu you walk in it's a prominent restaurant you know the quality of food is great you know that the support system is going to develop solid talent you can bring people in you're going to trust the chef to make sure the development of those players you're going to trust the chef that the development of your meal, your eight-course meal, is going to be everything you want in an eight-course meal. But you run the risk of getting a food or a group of foods that you don't like. I'm not a huge seafood guy. I like seafood, but there are certain elements, texturized elements. I say I'm not a big calamari guy. I've been to a tasting menu. The first time I've ever tried octopus was in a tasting menu, but it looked good to me. And very rarely have I said, wow, that octopus looks very good. I'd like to try some. So There's a level of trust that you have to have with the chef's tasting menu. That's why you go to a restaurant that you trust, that you know is going to serve high-quality food, have a high-quality balance to all of that food, and probably pair some wines with it. So for me, Bruce, it's like a tasting menu because there's a lot of trust you have to place in the chef's in the kitchen. I like that. Short and sweet this time. Yes. Yeah, you, you brought it this time. I'm gonna see if I can. I'm just gonna <clears throat> crack my knuckles a little bit. Oh. Crack my neck a little bit. You see you if sound I can, see confident. If I, see if I can pull this off. We'll see. So, the Bills' second-year players make me feel like the owner of my local diner told me that he's retiring in a few years. That's what it makes me feel like. Why? Hmm. Because listen, you're happy you still get the diner. 
for a couple more years. You're thrilled that you still get to have the diner burger because, of course, that's what you do at diners. You get the diner burger. But in the back of your mind, ever since you hear that, you are thinking, goodness gracious, I'm going to have to find my next diner at some point. I'm going to have to find my next dude at some point. Listen, I'm happy that my current diner is still going to be around for a couple more years. But you start talking to your significant other, sweetheart, we're going to have to start testing out other places. This has been our place for so long. We're going to need to find a new place. Luckily, you have time, though. Luckily, you have time. Time but is on much your side. like we're, ha- we're happy that the Buffalo Bills have Von Miller. And we know that the Buffalo Bills are going to have Von Miller, and he's going to be an impact player for this team. But you know that that clock is ticking on Von Miller. The second you signed him, it was a win-now maneuver. The chances of Von Miller being an impact player at 36 are going to be fairly low. So you got a couple years, and you think to yourself, okay, is Gregory Rousseau going to become an impact player that can take over for Von Miller when his effectiveness starts to decline? Is Boogie Basham going to become an impact player that can take over for Von Miller when his effectiveness inevitably starts to decline? It's almost like the clock started ticking on replacing Von Miller the second you signed Von Miller. You're happy to have him right now. You're thrilled. And I will continue to order that diner burger. In fact, I might even go back more. You might play Von Miller more snaps than you have historically played Jerry Hughes and have historically played Mario Addison. Because you're going to squeeze every single little bit of juice you can. You're going to squeeze every little bit of experience you possibly can out of the Von Miller and your current diner until they're gone. And you're going to love it. And you're going to cherish every memory. But in the back of your head, you're thinking, okay, what's next? Is is something going to rise up? It's a little bit like, like playing Dynasty Fantasy Football, which we know a lot about. When you play Dynasty Fantasy Football, you are constantly worried about the next guy, the next guy up. Okay, do I have assets to replenish what I'm going to lose? Because inevitably, things change a lot offseason, and you're always worried about the next man up and the next thing. And so for me, this is a dual metaphor. I went the food simile with the diner, and I also went Dynasty Fantasy Football, which we've talked about before. That is the way that the Bills' second-year players make me feel. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Eyewitness News. Uh, Yeah. Now, real quick, Mm -hmm. we did get a super chat I want to talk about. Drago Knight 101 says, finally, listen live. Listen live. Keep up the amazing job. Great. Drago, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to quick just – I'm going to get really serious for a second, and then I'll let Nate respond to my – my Shoot. scenario that I, I laid out with the food simile. Um, Friday nights are not a good time to do a live show because people are out doing other things. Right. The fact that I, I know for a fact that there are people, right, who are like at shift jobs who take their lunch breaks to listen to us. And there are people who are out and they like, they're like out right now watching on their phones. Yeah. And because it matters to them to, to have a, a good time and to relax, which is what this show has always been about, right? That's right. Having a good time, relax, crack talk some jokes, talk, talk a little football, talk a little food. That's, it's always supposed to be a very chill, relaxing sort of kick your feet up, crack open a beer kind of show. Right. The fact that you guys take time to do that and as then consistently as you do consistently with the same people who show up all the time and they're here for us and they respond and they tweet at us. And I have tons of people who will respond to me and they have the inside jokes with the show that they've been here forever. It's just, it's special. So thank you for that. Nate, what did you think of my food simile? As always, Bruce, uh, when you, and and it's for those listening at home, I, there, there are probably plenty of you that don't know the behind the scenes, Bruce, puts together generally like I'll throw an idea at Bruce, but Bruce is again, Bruce likes what he likes consistency. He likes routine. So Bruce likes to put together. He likes the, he likes the structuring of the show. The the show is what it is because Bruce is structure. I am more shoot from the hip. Hey Bruce, I just heard this great thing. We should make this this week's topic. Great. And that he builds the rest of the show around it as is tradition. I'm unsurprised anytime you come with some sort of heater for your food simile. Just incredibly unsurprised. Today, 
first of all, the pizza buffet one, I'm partial to pizza buffets because there was one down the street for me when I grew up as a kid. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever told this story. So my dad is also, my dad worked a nine to five sales job, right? My dad's highlight of every day was lunch. That That is the reality of grown men that work in sales jobs, right? Mm. Like we go home. So my dad was the cook mm. in the house. So he would go home and he'd make dinner for the family, right? Mm. But, you know, other men might go home and might have dinner with their wives and their wife might make them food when they show up at home, right? So there is a certain, there's, there, there's an amount of serenity. There's amount of routine that you're talking about, about lunch during a nine to five work day. And my dad had one pleasure in life. It was ripped from his, his dying hands, right? There was one, and I'm not sure that this was even something that was in other cities and other metros across the country. As far as I know, this is the only one I have ever seen, Bruce. KFC Buffet. Mm. I'm familiar. You, you are unfamiliar. I am familiar. Okay, so they are. They were other places. They are. I can. I can. I can tell you that at least one of the many different places I have lived over the course of my life has had a KFC within reasonable huh. driving distance that had a buffet. Yes. Really, I I've never experienced it. My dad it was it was like kind of lore in my family. Like, oh, dad went to the KFC buffet. He's going to be in a good mood today when he gets home. But, <laughs> like, like that's kinda, that was kind of like growing up. Like the pizza buffet for me was. Cinnamon sticks. This was my opportunity to eat as many cinnamon sticks as I possibly can. Breadsticks, cinnamon sticks, and tons of salad. I would never actually eat the pizza at a pizza buffet. So you brought a level of nostalgia back. So um, anytime you can do that, you can actually, Bruce, when you started talking about the pizza buffet, I started like, I almost smell the pizza buffet in a good way. In a good well, way. Well, that's what a wordsmith that I am. I can that literally right. inspire the neurons in your brain to fire to make you think you are smelling something either that or you are having a stroke either way because that that's totally that's, a thing. yeah no that, that's that's a thing moving along we actually have a mailbag question for us on food for thought uh if there are anybody in if there's anybody in the comments that would like to ask us a question now is the Feel time free. because we are going to get on this q a section james is the gentleman who sent us a note last week and said, thanks for taking my question. I have two questions for you. Number one, do you think Buffalo will stay in the nickel bend, but don't break? Or do you think more layers will be added and see them attacking more? The second question is looking at the schedule. Do you see a trap game? Do you fear Mm. a trap game? I think the Bills will be favored 85% of the time or more. So any loss will be an upset. But Lions, Jets, other bottom feeders, what do you think? James. So I will go ahead and talk first so that you have an opportunity to collect yourself for this. Sure. Number one, I do believe that you will see the Bills remain a primarily nickel team. Now, I, I'm i not sure how I feel about the notion that they're a bend but not break defense. I don't think that that's necessarily true. Uh, historically, they've been perfectly reasonable when it comes to blitz. Uh, ratio under the Buffalo Bills and Leslie Frazier, but I do think they will be remain a primarily a nickel defense. However, there are certain teams in the AFC in particular that I think that you would like to not go nickel against as much as humanly possible. I think the Titans come to mind. I think the Ravens come to mind. I think the Patriots come to mind. And I think there's a very reasonable chance that you may see the Jets in a lot of 12. You may see the Dolphins in a lot of 12, especially if you have the Jets and the Dolphins now. You understand the Jets and the Dolphins both have 49ers Shanahan systems being run at them. What is that system? What is that system, right? It's primarily based on wide zone, right? When it comes to the run game, you need not only heavier personnel, but you also need heavier personnel who can run. And so having a player that you drafted the third round out of Baylor, right? who is someone who can run. He's, yeah, he's a heavier linebacker, right? Then he is, then you have a nickel defender, right? He's bigger than Taron Johnson, right? He's not a big linebacker, but he's bigger than Taron Johnson. So if you want to go a little bit heavier and still retain the ability to run, you can do that. So I think it's more of a matchup thing than it is a base change thing. 
in regards to trap games, I do think the Jets are going to be better this year. I do. Um, if you were looking at me to look at the remainder of the AFC East teams and say, Bruce, who do you think is going to take the biggest step? I think it might be the Jets. I think everyone says it's going to be Miami because of Tyreek Hill, but this is going to sound awful. This is going to sound terrible when I say it. I'm not saying Zach Wilson's better than Tua Tagovailoa. That's not what I'm saying because he objectively was not. But I think that there's, if you told me, Bruce, I got it. I just came back from the future. Just so you know, here are the winning lottery tickets for 2022. Congratulations. But also, I want to let you know I came from the future and Zach Wilson has a better 2022 regular season than Tua Tagovailoa. I wouldn't be shocked by this. Like, I wouldn't be like flabbergasted if that was the case. If Tua had a very similar style of season this year that he did last year, and then Zach Wilson took a step forward and was a little bit better than Tua, I would not be shocked by this concept. So for me, I don't know if the Jets are a trap game because I think the Jets might be better this year. And if you had to make me, you held a gun to my head and you said, Bruce, you absolutely have to pick an AFC East team other than the Bills to you know, do well this year, I'd probably take the Jets. So for me, I don't know if I go trap game so far as to say that, but the Bills are going to be favored in almost every single game. They might be favored in every single game. So everything's technically a trap game, but I would say the Jets. Nate? So the first question, uh, specifically in defense, but I think there's a layer of this that the ideology will also be applied to the offense. And what I mean by that, Bruce, is the personnel moves for me, both offensively and defensively this year, have been moves to me that would indicate, Bruce, that there's a level of predictability that every long-standing coach has to fend with, has to deal with as a coach, right? Being predictable. Every offseason, a new full 18, however many games you play in a season, game stretch, that makes you easier to defend. There's a level of predictability. You have to switch the calls, your hot reads, your audibles, the things that your hand signals, right? The things that you're, you know, communicating from the sideline onto the field. There's a level of predictability that every coach has to deal with going. That's why they work every day of the year and their seasons don't end when the season ends. It simply begins that, that really, Bruce, a coach's season is sort of the end it's it's the the product of off season, you know, labor. It's the it's the product of off season preparation. So for me, going out and getting a you know Terrell Bernard, going out and getting uh, Roger Saffold, going out and drafting James Cook, going out and you know going to get a Jamison Crowder, right? I think there's a level of OJ Howard, maybe even more. Maybe that's the best example that I can have of this offensively, Bruce. I think there is a real desire to be less predictable and be more multiple in both their formations and the plays that they call. And I think defensively that same desire exists. It's why you go out and draft probably the one corner in this draft that is probably the best press man corner in the draft, right? A guy that does have scheme versatility has That's a strong take, speed, right? So I think, well, I, others might say, I believe when I went in this draft, I thought that there was one guy that, you could draft that would signal to me a desire to play more press man. That was Kyrie Elam. So for me, I think what this offseason has proved is that there's a true desire to become less predictable and more multiple, both in both in their uh, in the scheme itself, but the personnel groupings that they're able to throw out week in and week out. And then there was another one. Uh, trap game. Trap trap game is is a tough thing to talk about because, like for me, I'm gonna say the New England Patriots. And people might say, well, that's how's that trap game? They beat you last year. They're generally speaking a good football team. They've got decades of, you know, recency bias and success. How could you consider the trap game? Trap games are really meant for bad teams that maybe you underestimate and they punch you in the face and beat you in a day. The Jaguars, for instance, right? But nobody viewed the Jaguars as a trap game last year. It just happened. And I don't think there was a lot of, there wasn't a level of predictability to that game. It just happened. For me, Bruce, the Patriots are a trap game because I think a lot of people have assumed they've slayed the dragon. That perfect game in the playoffs, they embarrassed Bill Belichick, they made Mac Jones look like a rookie, and there was this monkey off the shoulder, monkey off the back, we've moved on to bigger and better things. The Patriots are no longer our biggest threat. Now, 
They've got Joe Judge potentially calling plays, and which is something he's never done. You've got Matt Patricia calling plays, which he's made offensively, which is potentially never done. I think there's a real level that people now believe both the Jets and the the, the Dolphins have overtaken the Patriots in this division. And I'm just going to say not so fast. And I think there's a lot of people that are talking trash about what Bill Belichick has done this offseason, the confidence that he's showing in himself and his coaching staff. And I think there's a this is still going to be a competitive football team. I mean, it's a lot of the same pieces that, by the way, they were in first place in this division at week 15, week 16 last year. So I'm going to say one or both of those Patriots games, particularly the Patriots game at home, I'm going to dub as maybe the trap game for, on the schedule. Ballsy. I like it. I really like it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy that. I enjoy that quite a bit. I'll tell you what. So <clears throat> this is, it's really important for those of you who are watching live. And for those of you who are listening as a podcast, uh, we have concluded the major parts of the football and food discussion for this evening. Indeed. In the event that you are someone who does not wish to listen to any discussion regarding the tragedy that struck Buffalo over the weekend, um, now would be the opportunity for you to either end the live broadcast or go ahead and end the podcast here. Uh, I have already had an opportunity to speak on this. I had the opportunity at the Bruce exclusive uh, dropped on Thursday, and I had opportunity to say the piece that I wanted to say regarding this. However, Nate has not had the opportunity to speak on this at all. This is the first time that he's recorded any piece of media since that. And so I wanted to make sure that I carved off time at the end of this podcast, at the end of this live show for him to be able to uh, say a few words in regards to what happened and his thoughts on it and be able to say the words that are on his heart. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dismiss myself from this, I am going to give Nate the, Nate the screen here. And then when Nate is concluded with his thoughts, we were just going to go ahead and, and end the show at that point. So I want to make sure that all of you are aware of kind of what is going to happen here for the next couple of minutes and give you an opportunity to prepare yourself for that discussion or exit if you would so choose. Nate, the floor is yours, my friend. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate that uh, that greatly. And for those that will stick around and listen, I also appreciate you as well. I wanted to take a really just an important opportunity here to talk a little bit about a community that I live in. Uh, I live on the West side here in Buffalo and downtown. And um, there is a level of reflection, I think that the moment uh, has required. And I, and I'm not going to use the moment here to simply talk about the negatives because tragedy often like this, especially in a community like Western New York and Buffalo um, a lot of good things can happen because of tragedy. And this moment, I think, has required a lot of strong people, people that maybe have hesitated to stand up, to stand out, to call out certain things from family, from friends, from colleagues, right? I spent some time volunteering this week, um, early morning in, at, at, at Feedmore in Western New York on Clinton. And uh, with, with some of my, uh, you know, sports media colleagues. And before I talk on, you know, the, the realness and the areas that white people here in Buffalo need to become better at. Before I get into that, I wanted to simply state how proud I was of A, the community, B, the sports team in this community, the show out all rostered players showing up here in Buffalo for the last couple of days. I just was an unbelievable mark of solidarity in a community that desperately needed someone to look up to in a position that says that, that makes you feel better. That makes everyone feel better. But for me, volunteering at the food at, 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 at Feedmore was an eye-opening experience for me. And if you haven't had an opportunity, there are tons of volunteer opportunities here in Western New York right now. The tops on the east side is what we consider a food desert. The east side in general is considered a food desert. The reason it's considered that is because there are no real ways for people in the east side in that community to go out and get their food. You have people from all over the east side having to bus in, having to walk to the grocery store in the heart of winter to go and buy their groceries. 
to stand with a bunch of white guys and girls that understand the moment was an incredibly proud feeling for me. The city of Buffalo, from infrastructure to culture, it's segregated. It is one of the last remaining segregated communities in the country. We have to acknowledge that there are really inconvenient truths as a society, but as a community that I think is incredibly important to acknowledge because that acknowledgement means two things, that you're acknowledging the problem and the people that have been negatively affected by this problem, which is predominantly people of color in this community, really good people. But that acknowledgement has to lead to change. It cannot simply be a one-time acknowledgement. The moment here can't stop when the cameras leave the community. They have to persist on. They have to carry on. And the only way that we can carry on, that we can make this community better for everyone, and not just the white folks in this community, but the Latinos, the people of color, all cultures that live here and share this community, it the onus is on us, the people of privilege. And this city is segregated by a, a, a throughway system that has separated the haves and have nots. If you went to Buffalo State College, like I did, you're in a community in an inner city that is separated by some of the, the wealthiest areas of the city as across the street from some of the least wealthiest areas of the city. By nature, this city was constructed in infrastructure to segregate the haves and the have nots. And this acknowledgement is if you do nothing else, if you don't want to go and you don't want to volunteer at a food kitchen, if you don't want to go on the east side and lay some flowers down at the site, if those are things that make you feel uncomfortable, do one thing. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge the privilege that we all have. Acknowledge that for the better part of a long time now, not just this community, but culture and black culture in general, that white people have started to hijack black culture, right? And, and the things that make me sad, that really hurt me personally, is seeing people, people of color in this community on the news talking about how they're walking around grocery stores, walking around the mall, feeling profiled. There are things we can do as a community to reach out. Go buy a Black Lives Matter shirt and wear it in the community. Do it. Show some sort of level of solidarity. Reach your hand out in some way because it's never been more important now to show someone of color in this community that you are an ally. They need allies because right now the cameras are on the east side, and I think that's incredibly important. That store is going to open up soon, and the cameras are going to turn off, and the next news cycle in this community will take the attention of the news cameras. We cannot allow this moment to pass by in a news cycle. We just can't. We can't allow the bigotry. We cannot allow the inflammatory language that's used on TV every day. You know, and I, you know, Bruce's comments yesterday, and I know a lot of people talked about how moved and how great they were. I haven't had a chance to listen yet. It's on my to-do list to listen on Sunday. One of the things he said to me, right, is this, feeling of politicizing what has happened. And I think it's such a difficult conversation to have. And I think it's creating the, the, the using the term politics, I think is a convenient way to divert the conversation around the core values, the core truths, the inconvenient truths of what we deal with right now as a community, which is privilege and an understanding that the privilege exists. And you don't, have we don't have to be this way in this community this community is great because of its diversity because of its culture and i just as a person as a human being don't want to hear stories about being profiled about black people in this community feeling alienated by white people it's not right it's 2022 we can't be going in reverse and politics is a big reason for that i'm not here to lecture you about what you need to do. I'm not here to lecture you about which side is right and which side is wrong. 
I think all of us have to agree that we have to be better and bigger than the politics that hold us back, that separate us. Politics are meant to separate us into two separate buckets. And I think for now, pushing aside the politics of this and the division is going to be more important than ever. I don't want to, I want to step off my soapbox because this isn't about me lecturing you how to be a better person. This is and this is an opportunity for me to use a platform to say that I need to be better, to say that it starts with me. And you will see that from me, whether it's on social media. And I hope that you have always seen that from me because there's a level of consistency required by people in the public eye. It is my duty to make sure that I'm inclusive, that the guests that I bring on my show are people of color, are women. It's incredibly important that we as a society continue to be inclusive and it will start with me. And I hope that it will feed someone to do something, go out and volunteer. If you don't know where to volunteer and you've got a desire to reach out to me, my girlfriend who God bless her soul has put together lists of different places that you can volunteer. She was down there the other day when all the bills players were down there handing out food. This is a family affair here in this home. We live in a community. I live in a neighborhood with African-American people, with Latino people. In this community, this neighborhood, I know every time I walk out my front door that all of them, they look at me, they wave, and they say hello. Whether they're Black, whether they're Latino, whether they're female, male, it doesn't matter. Because this neighborhood, everyone knows it here on this west side that there's a level of respect, that I value you as a human being. And I think valuing human life has never been more important than it is right now. So I'm going to step off my soapbox, but I, I, I wanted everyone to understand that they can expect that it will start with me.